brothers and sisters, our future is uncertain in this church in the sense that we don't know where we're going to be exactly uh, next month or the month after that. Um, members of the church, <clears throat> there's some details I'll share with you after service. We don't have to have a big meeting, but I just want to meet with you after service and discuss a few things. Um, but, as you know, this is the last week in this building, and we are going to wander in the wilderness for a while. And, and so there is uncertainties about where we'll meet, what, what we'll do. But uh, in this sermon today, I wanted to just put into context um, what the Lord has done among us, what we must do as a church, wherever we are, and the confidence for the future that the Lord gives us. Um, so the first thing I want to do is just kind of give you a history of this church and recount the Lord's wondrous deeds, the Lord's wondrous deeds in our congregation over the past four years of Church of the Vine. Psalm 105. Turn to Psalm 105 for a minute. <coughs> Psalm 105 tells God's people to remember His works. To remember <coughs> His works. It starts out, O oh, give thanks to the Lord, Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. His miracles the judgments he has uttered. The people of Israel were told to remember what the Lord has done with them. And the psalm continues, and it, and it brings to remembrance that God has chosen Abraham and his family. It brings to remembrance the famine during the times of Joseph and how God brought Joseph to Egypt. It brings to remembrance the exodus and the miracles that God worked for the people of Israel to re redeem them and deliver them from slavery in Egypt. It brings to remembrance how God had provided for them in the wilderness. It brings to remembrance that God gave them his law, showing his people his ways and his truth and his holiness. And so it brings to remembrance all these things. And I want to remember today what the Lord has done among us as a church. Um, because the Lord does do things with us. We have not just been a church doing church things on our own. Rather, I believe we've been led by God from strength to strength. And upon reflection, I see the hand of God clearly moving 
and how he clearly has moved in our midst over the years. And so I want to just for a minute recall the presence and activity of God in our church. When I became a pastor seven years ago almost, um, I was hired at a, as a pastor of Valley Bible Baptist Church. And as you know, or you may not know, some of you, that this church is a replant off of that church. When I was hired as the pastor of Valley Bible Baptist Church and I came there, it was a nominal congregation. Nominal congregation. Um, what I mean, what do I mean by nominal congregation? The best way I can put nominalism is bearing the name of Christ and yet living so that Christ has no bearing on your life. Bearing the name of Christ and yet living as if Christ has no bearing on your life. If you are a Christian, you bear the name of Christ. And so a nominal Christian is somebody who self-identifies as a Christian. But that identity is not attended with a self-denying wholehearted trust in and obedience to Jesus Christ. That's a nominal Christian. Jesus said, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He said, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So the kind of Worthiness, Jesus talks about there, is the response that he requires. To deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Your cross is the instrument that represents your abandonment to God. And when Jesus talks about losing one's life, certainly that could be death if you live in a land of persecution. But also it means your worldly ambitions. It also means your sinful habits, and it also means your corrupt patterns of thinking. Jesus says, drop all of that. Trust in and follow me with your whole life, not reserving anything for yourself. That's the worthy response of the kingdom. Here's another great definition of nominalism. A nominal Christian is a Christian by name only. Nominal Christians may attend church and Christian functions, and they self-identify as Christians, but it is just a label. They view religion primarily as a social construct, and they do not allow it to require much of them. Nominalists take a minimalist approach to their faith. So... That's what I mean by nominal Christian. When I walked in the doors of Valley Bible Baptist Church seven years ago, it was a nominal church at best. One woman left because I had mentioned sin too much in my sermons. One night, 
we got a knock at the parsonage door because a girl had been doing drugs up in the church parking lot with her boyfriend who had beaten her. And she came to our house bruised and battered and I had to take care of her and get the police involved, but she was a congregant. Two families left because I had preached against abortion. And there was a preoccupation in this congregation with the physical structure of the church building. And so there, there was this nominal fog in this congregation that laid over it. And it was attended with a preoccupation of the church building and the furnace and the sound system and the gutters and painting and mowing the lawns. It's almost as if years of spiritual malaise had turned the congregation's attention from the spiritual body to the church building. By God's grace and through godly counsel, we were able to sell that building. That was such a preoccupation. And the building got sold and the parsonage got sold. And we got out of debt and now and we were able to pay off everything that needed to pay, be paid off as, as a church and we replanted as church of the vine and it is almost like you know remember how god allowed israel to plunder the egyptians that's how i felt about what happened there it's almost like Church of the Vine plundered a nominal church, paid everything off, and the Lord set us up so in a way that we, don't, we didn't need to worry about finances for many years. And we not only plundered the nominal church, but we started a new work here, a Christ-centered church with the aim of preaching the scripture, pursuing God, and growing a church body in holiness and the fear of the Lord. And then four years ago, we planted Church of the Vine. And Church of the Vine began with a prayer and 12 people the first Sunday. Uncertain about our future, but confident in the God whom we worship. And the first Sunday, we had 12 people. And slowly but surely, the Lord added to our number, day by day, those who were being saved. And you, you came. Gary came with his willingness to serve and his contrition and his hunger for the Lord. Ray, I remember Ray <laughs> coming in one day. And, and there was no one in the, in the theater that day, except for me and Nydia and Patrick and Erica. And Ray walked in, and Nydia said, a person! <laughs> and Ray has stayed. And, and I, I could mention all of you, but the members of our church came, and you, and you hunger for the Lord. And you want to grow in godliness. And you want to raise your families to fear and love the Lord. Um, 
And so now I look and I look at, I'm amazed at the situation. I'm amazed at the turnaround that God has wrought in four years. I was asking a pastor for some advice a few months ago on the phone. And um, I spoke with this pastor and, and he asked me a good question. He said, now would you consider your congregation a a spirit and in truth congregation or a show up to church congregation and without hesitation I was able to say definitely a spirit and in truth congregation what a turnaround from seven years ago and four years ago you know, when I say spirit and in truth, I'm thinking of the words that Jesus says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. The Father seeks for people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the Lord has brought you here and you are worshipers of spirit and in truth. And I am humbled I am humbled to preach to people every week whom I respect and admire as Christians, brothers and sisters. So I lay that before you just to remember and praise God for the work that he has done here. I feel, I feel like a, a, a sailboat that's just been carried along by the wind of God and watching how he's done miracles, things I could never even think about, so that a people who came to church sporadically and cared very little about the things of the Lord, if at all, for the most part, has changed this situation so that we have a spirit and in truth church. And so God is good. And I believe he has banished nominalism and replaced it with those who worship in spirit and in truth. And I praise God for that. Now, we are a church without a permanent home, however. And so, having reflected on what I have seen God do in the past, I want to think about, just for a minute, what we as a church should do as you move for, to another impermanent location. From the get-go, Church of the Vine has had a feeling of transience. We've got no pews. We've got no steeple. There's no church bells. We don't go, walk into a church and there's no cho cozy children's classrooms. And so it almost feels like this is not a home. Two benefits of this, though. There are benefits to not having a church building. And although I think it would be a good thing to have one, there are two benefits that I see of us not having one. Have, not have habit had one and not having one currently. First benefit is that these feelings of transience and impermanence actually allow us to feel what we are as Christians. We are strangers and aliens in the world. 
And so we get to feel that together. We get to feel being sojourners and pilgrims in the world. Having a impermanence, even as a corporate body, as it, as it testifies and foreshadows the impermanence of this life and the things in it. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews 11, 13. Impermanence can be a good thing, a feeling of impermanence, because <coughs> we look to a city that cannot be shaken. I love this passage. Speaking of the faithful, in verse 13 of Hebrews 11, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they, seek a, they are seeking a homeland. We are seeking a homeland, not, not a church building. We are seeking to join our voices with the angels. That's going to be our permanent dwelling. We are seeking to join, lock our arms with the saints gone before us. We're seeking to worship God and see him face to face. Verse 15. If they had been thinking about the land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is... They desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So, let, let our desire for, for the church be like typology to Bible study. Ty a type in the Old Testament is something that foreshadows and prefigures a better thing to come. Let our desire for a permanent church building and with steeples and pews that looks great, looks churchy, let that desire actually be a type in your mind as a desire for a better country, a better congregation with many of the saints, myriads upon myriads singing holy, holy, holy as the Lord God Almighty. So, that was a benefit. My point is that this feeling of transience can be good because it actually corresponds to what we are as a church. We are sojourners and strangers in the world. You know, God made Israel wander in the wilderness before he gave them the land. And he is making us wander in the wilderness. Consider this time as we move out of this building the years of wandering. The years of wandering. Secondly, second benefit for of us not having a church building right now is that it has allowed us to build our identity on Christ as a church and the body of Christ. I have seen firsthand how many churches have the worries and anxieties of a building usurp and take over their mind. And uh, the, 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 
they're focused on the building itself, the grounds, and leaky roofs, and mowed lawns, and parking lots, and, and, uh, and flooring, and tiles, and handles on doors, and, and, you know, what else is there? That kind of stuff. Now, none of that's bad. None of that's bad. It's, it's good to have a good-looking church, but there is a subtle shift of mind that can happen. And I've seen that. And so what not having a building has done and is doing is it forces us, nay, it allows us to build our identity on Christ and Christ's body. We, we are a church that wants to worship the Lord, disciple one another, and move in holiness together. And I think the fact that we have been impermanent <coughs> has allowed us to do that. So we've been, we have Bible studies and home groups and prayer and discipleship, and that's been our main focus all along. And we've never had to worry about a roof that leaks. So praise God for that. So what should a congregation do now who has no certain future, building-wise, and this sense of transience? I'm glad you asked. Go to Acts 2, if you would. I, bring, I draw your attention to this passage as I've drawn your attention to this passage many times in the past. Peter has preached the gospel in this passage to, <clears throat> to the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And not only the Jewish pe people, but people who are, are gathered there from around the world. And the early church responded to the gospel thusly. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who received the word were baptized. And there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the fellowship. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The early church committed themselves, first of all, to the apostles' teaching. That's the word of God. The apostles taught what Jesus told them to teach. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. They were doing that. And when, we, when I preach the Bible, I am teaching all that Jesus commanded us as a church. They are committed to the breaking of bread. That is the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We do that. 
They committed themselves to prayer. I encourage you to come out to prayer meeting, for it is the least attended event in our church, historically. But we have prayer meeting um, once a month, the first Wednesday of each month. And they worship God together, attending to the temple together, and praising God, like we do in corporate worship. Wasn't that beautiful refrain today? We were singing, holy, you are lifted high, holy, forever. So that's what they were doing. The word the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayer. And what did God do with this church that were committed to these practices? Why, day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, God can do whatever He wants with Church of the Vine. We know, listen, we don't have a sense of self-importance in, in this church. God does not need us. And so he can do whatever he wants with us. But the reason we at Church of the Vine will continue to commit ourselves to the teaching of the word, the Lord's Supper, prayer, and God-centered worship on Sundays, Sunday after Sunday, is because these are the practices that God has ordained for his church and his people to do when they gather to acknowledge his name. Now, the unique challenge for us, I just want to think about worship for a second. The unique challenge for us in our transients when we move to a different location is that what well, we've met in the theater, now we might, there might be a warehouse or an American Legion. Here's what I, I don't want to see. I don't want our informal setting be mistaken or deceive us into taking worship of God casually and it has not has not in this congregation <coughs> but let because we, we are meeting in strange places and places of entertainment like this let us never be deceived into taking God casually Here's what Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. That's the kind of worship that I want to continue in our congregation with reverence and awe. I felt that that last song. For our God is a consuming fire. Reverence means deep respect. Awe means a sense of God's vastness and his majesty and power. Because God is a consuming fire. He is not an old man in the sky. He's not a caricature or a cartoon. He is dreadful and mighty and dangerous and good and holy. He is a consuming fire. And it is only our flesh that deceives us into taking God lightly when he is the weightiest 
being to have ever and will ever exist. You cannot see my face and live, he told Moses. You can't see my face and live. So, what we need to do as a church body then is to worship God with reverence and awe. Continue a, a reverential attitude no matter where we are as a church. Also, too, we must focus not only on worship, teaching, prayer, but we must focus on the body here, one another. I wanna, here's the passage I want to go to. Ephesians 4, 15, and 16. You don't have to turn there, but I want to read this to you. I always love this passage because it, it, it puts the weight on us to do what we should do. Um, Ephesians 4, 15, and 16 says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Notice the clause, when each part is working properly, it builds itself up in love. When each part is working properly, it does that. So we need to work properly together as a church to be built up in love. How can we do that? How can we work properly together to build ourselves up in love? Well, if you look at Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to one another. And I do see that in this congregation. And I want to continue that in this congregation. And I know you've heard me say... They've devoted themselves to the fellowship, not just to fellowship, like, hey, how you doing? But the fellowship, an identifiable group of people, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship. That means, in the, the word devoted means they persevered together. They bound themselves together. They locked arms together. Peter calls the church, the brotherhood. I love that vision of the church. It's a brotherhood, not a disparate collection of infrequent attendees. It's a brotherhood. So the early Christians devoted themselves to one another in virtue of their bond with Jesus Christ. Not because they had things in common. They, the thing they had in common was Christ. So in this church, we have, and by God's grace, we will continue to maintain the weightiness of our bond in Christ together by devoting ourselves to one another. And the way we do that practically is through membership. Um, remember, membership is, is your way of locking arms and covenanting with this church um, and it changes you from a consumer to a covenant covenanter with your brothers and sisters. 
It's the way you formally commit yourself to one another. And we've done that. A consumer comes to church looking for friends. And a preacher that's a motivator. And asks, how can I be served? A covenanter, which many of you are, comes to church to forge fellowship. I know you've heard me say before, you don't find fellowship, you forge fellowship. You forge it. It sees preaching as under the authority of God and it asks, how can I be useful? Not just how can I be served. So, that's the way we devote ourselves to one another. It's through the formal membership process. Secondly, so that's how we can work properly together. The church, Church of the Vine, is the members. So, secondly, another way we can work properly together is you can serve the church and serve people in this church tangibly. The early church quite literally treated one another as if they were family. With regards to material things, verse 44 of Acts chapter 2, they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the, the proceeds to all as any had need. It almost sounds like communism. But it wasn't that. It was a record of a community that brought realism to the word family. They were actually a family of God. And many of you in this church have served one another in tangible ways. Have served me in tangible ways. You've knitted things. You've baked things. You've given people things. And you've done so discreetly. And I think serving one another tangibly is not only God's will for his communities, his churches, um, but it, it, re it reflects the heart of Christ. Sacrifice. Self-sacrifice for one another. That's how the body builds itself up in love. Remember, all the action is not, not we, need to, we need to be evangelistic. Now, I'm going to get to that in a minute. But all, some churches act like all the actions outside the church with, peop, with the peop person on the street. And certainly we need to be there. I mean, we do a better job with that in this church. But, but the priority is for the brotherhood. Galatians 6.10 says, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So who are you to do good to? Everyone. And then especially those who are of the household of faith. So the, the good works are first to the brotherhood, then to the world. That's the order of priority for the church. How will, all, how will all people know that we are Christ's disciples? By your love for one another, Jesus says. Alright, so you can work properly by serving the church tangibly. No matter where we are. Buildings, basements, American legions, warehouses, 
in the trees, wherever we are. Third, build one another up spiritually. In order for a church to be truly built up, it must, and we've done this, we have moved beyond surface level association with one another. I am so glad that there is a spiritual brotherhood here. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. That's, I love that. That's what, that's what a church is. The word of Christ dwells within us richly. We sing together. But addressing one another with psalms, what's been on your heart. Meeting together. Doing spiritual good for one another. Even outside the Sunday service. Um... So the fellowship is not just associating one another. It's not just enjoying one another's company. It's not just enjoying deeper friendships. It is letting the word of Christ dwell within us richly as we move from location to location. <clears throat> we continue our spiritual bond together. So... Um, how can, you, how can you put that into practice? How can you let the word of Christ dwell within you richly? Four ideas for you. Number one, look to initiate spiritual conversations together. Don't, don't let it linger on the surface. Initiate spiritual conversations together. Have you seen the Lord work lately? What's the Lord been teaching you lately? Have you had any evangelistic opportunities lately? Has the Lord answered prayer lately for you? Maybe, maybe these sound like forced questions, but they're just an idea. So initiate spiritual conversation. Number two, develop discipling relationships with one another. Read a book together. Um, get coffee together. A fellowship with one another outside the week for, one, for your spiritual good. Write lengthy emails to one another, debating theological topics and coming to a point on something. That's another way you could do it. Third, you could admonish one another, giving godly rebuke when you see, when you see harmful patterns of behavior is very, very helpful for a church. Did you know iron sharpens iron, the Proverbs say? So one man sharpens another. And we should all be open because we're an imperfect, we're imperfect people. We should all be open to a word of rebuke by a brother, even if it's gentle rebuke by a brother, to move in the right direction. So we need to be a church where we can speak into one of those lives, and I think we are. I think we are. We've done well in that. Number four, you can encourage a brother or sister in Christ. Um, 
Tell them that they, they're doing, tell them some, how they reflected Christ in a conversation. Build them up by acknowledging how sacrificial they seem to be or how humble they are. Not to puff them up, but to build them up and encourage <coughs> that pattern of Christ-like behavior in their life. So the church, our church is not just a club. I don't think Church of Divine has for these past four years been a club. It's not been a hangout. We have actually forged, members of this church, we've actually forged a brotherhood in these walls. In a movie theater, we have forged a spiritual brotherhood. And I praise and magnify and exalt God for what he has done among us these four years while we've been meeting in this movie, movie theater. The one thing we need to improve upon is evangelism in our church. Now, I don't know who you have conversations with during the week, but I do know this, that at least according to one poll, the reason most people have not attended church in the past year is because they haven't been invited to church. And that's an easy step for evangelism. I don't know who's, who's in your life that you could invite to, to church service, but what an easy step. Just say, hey, I go, to, I go to this church. Why don't you come with me? And what a great way to start a spiritual relationship with that person. You can allow them to speak. They, they can, you can speak into their life. And maybe you can preach the gospel to them when they hear the sermon. And maybe they would repent and believe and maybe a soul would be snatched from hell. Have conversations during the week. Maybe you're not the one to get them to repent and believe on the spot. Maybe you're the one that sows the seed. Be a seed sower. Put a stone in their shoe. But I want to encourage you, as I encourage myself, to seek opportunities for evangelism. Talk about Jesus Christ. Talk about the existence of God. Talk, give, give, give reasons why they should believe. All these are good and right things for us to do. And we need to be um, not only salt and light in the world, but we need to be messengers of the gospel in the world. So, we are, we are a transient church right now. And praise God that we're not loosely associated with one another. Praise God it's not a building that keeps us together. But it is the bond of Christ that keeps us together. And so, as we move together, let us continue to worship God with reverence and awe. Be committed to the Word of God and prayer, the Lord's Supper, and to the fellowship, and to working properly together. Forging spiritual relationship with one another. That is a compelling Christian community. And let us be, a, like I said a few weeks ago, let's be a church where nominalism is very uncomfortable and it cannot flourish. We want to see people who would exist in nominalism grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. 
We want to see infant Christians grow in the Lord. So perhaps you might be the one to help a brother or sister grow in the Lord. Members, um, we don't have necessarily a, a big meeting afterwards, but just I'll just share with you what's going on with our future um, after this. If you want to break down, we'll just talk about it. And, um, and attenders, you're welcome to, to stay and listen out on that discussion. Before we do that, though, let's close in a word of prayer and commit this to the Lord. <coughs>